You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. So we had two weeks now on Psalm 19, 119, and we got, I think we're going to have a couple weeks more. Um, like Jed said, it's not a meal to be eaten all at one sitting. We've got to work on it a little bit. And, um, but there's a, a number of ideas going on. I made a, a little devotional for you. You can work on that if you would like about how we can see how he wants to, to obey the laws of the government, but the government of God's kingdom. Not man's government, but the good government of God's kingdom. So maybe you read that. So that's one view of Psalm 119. God has a certain set of rules and laws that he uh, desires us to abide by and what we're going to live in an eternity future when we live there with him completely sanctified for the first time we're in the process of sanctification here but there we're going to be completely sanctified we're going to be completely ready to be in that spot purified uh, but there's a number of big ideas in this longest chapter of the bible and i don't want you to fear i know uh, uh, jed mentioned there was a couple guys that said you know they didn't want to tackle it there is nothing off limits in the word of god nothing it's all understandable Take the time to go there and dig it out. You may not want to preach on it. You may not want to do a, a you know, 35-week series on it, but take the time to read it. God put it there for our edification, our building up. So don't, uh, and another thing is, we're really bad to do this. If you're going to read something like this psalm, not all of psalms, but this particular psalm, read it in one sit. We, we mess up a lot of times. I, and I told, I was talking to Marky the other day, but Brother Mark the other day, but about Romans. I've never just sat down and read Romans in one sitting. So I sit down and read it in one sitting. It's completely different than reading it in parts. I, I dare say a majority of you have never sat down and read Romans, but you've been preached to out of Romans your whole life. Preached to you about marriage, or about the wrath of God, or about sin in the church, or about the development of pastors, or spiritual gifts, or love, or whatever. But we never read it in one thing. And when I read it in one thing, it was completely, it's a completely different story than reading it in pieces. It was a letter written to churches to be written, to be read in one piece. Same thing with Psalm 119 here. It was designed to be read in one piece, to be actually sung. And it was, it was written in the way that it's written as a memorization aid. So like, uh, it's been a long time since I, since I sang what a friend we have in Jesus, but it's easy to remember the song as you start to sing it because it, it's to to a rhythm and everything, a melody, and so we sing it and we sing it and we sing it. And so they would sing this over and over. I can't imagine how long the song was, but it was a long song. And they would sing it all as one piece, and it was, and it was all starting with A's, then the next H verses starting with B's and so on. And that was the memorization aid. So it was designed, it was written and designed so that people could take it in and take it in and take it in, and before long they could quote it because of the memorization aids that were built into it. So think about that. Think about reading it all in one piece and not breaking it up into individual things. There's a number of things going on there. But read it all as one thing and you'll see better how it flows. So one thing that I saw as it flows uh, is this story of a man who starts as unsaved or basically barely saved. How about that? Recently recognizing his need for the Father through a spiritual growth in his life to maturity by the end. So in that, and, I, and uh, the guys were, were telling you that, he begins with um, 
uh, a repentance and a remove these things from me. And then he asked him to replace these things in him, different things. And then he asked him for revival, which God provides. And then he gives him rest in affliction. And then he ends with rejoicing or zeal. There's a building of that from the beginning to the end. I'll show it to you real quick. Uh, Psalm 119, 1 through 8. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then I'll show you the end. So the beginning, here's this new young man, this man that we're not positive that it's David. They said David, uh, Ezra, potentially Daniel, but we're not sure who the writer is, but we'll just call it a man, a person, an individual. Look what he says. This is the beginning, the birth of this man and his recognition for his need for salvation. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. I'll praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. As he first sees who he is. Remember that? That's one part of revival is recognizing how filthy and low you are before a most holy and high God. And when he sees that, blessed are those, man, I see this guy, I see Dave Pritchard. He's a righteous man. Dave did an excellent job last week of, of helping us understand revival. It's just he showed his spiritual gift too, if you don't know that, don't recognize that, of teaching. But, but I see this man walking around. He's an undefiled man. He doesn't live like the world lives, he's covered with snow all the time. He's white and shiny. Something about him is special. Blessed are the undefiled. Man, I wish I could be like that guy. Verse 5, oh, that my ways were direct. Oh, I wish I could be like him and that my ways would be directed to your statutes. Oh, if I keep your statutes, don't forsake me. Please don't put me aside. If I could start living like Dave, maybe I could be unforsaken. Maybe I could be kept and in the end of Psalm uh, 119, verse 97, he's, it's like this joyous exultation at the end. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. And from there all the way to the end, it's just one thing after another. I hate the wicked. I don't want the wicked anywhere around. I don't want to be around them. I just want to be in your law. I just want to. He's got this zeal that, for, this, for this relationship with the Father. So after he initially awakens, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself on zeal, but the man sees that there's a great benefit to following God and keeping his ways. And he wishes he was able to do so, but he recognized that he needs help and direction in order to be able to follow initially and then to have the energy to continue to follow. It's one of the biggest problems we have as people, as believers. We become a believer a lot of times because we recognize that without Christ we're doomed to eternal separation in, in hell. And so we're like, well, okay, I'll get my fire insurance, and then I can just keep living like I lived. I don't have, I mean, as long as I'm saved, that's all that matters, right? I don't really have to change anything. And he's like, but, but the, for, there's a percentage that li want to do that. But then there's another percentage that are like, man, I'm trying so hard to be good. I just can't be good. I remember being a kid. It's like, man, I got a whipping. If I didn't get a whipping at school, I got one when I got home and probably usually got both. I got a paddling when I was a senior in high school. That's how bad I was, seriously. I mean, I got them every year, man, every year, every stinking day. I'm getting home, getting paddled at school, at home, both. And uh, I, I was like, it's not that I didn't want to be good. I couldn't be good. I can't be good. Why can't I be good? 
I can't be good by man's standard. I certainly can't be good by God's standard. And that's what this guy's like. He's like, keep me, help me to follow and be good. And after he is awakened here in this initial uh, Aleph, he goes to Beth, the next, the next grouping there, 9 through 16, and he asks that question, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young man cleanse his way or keep his way pure? By taking heed according to thy word. I've got to start walking according to the word. If you try to follow God in your human strength, in your human goodness, you are going to be one miserable person because you can't do it because you're naturally bad. This is what we are. We don't want to be natural. It's what we are. God created us to be in his image and to be naturally good. But when man fell away between his own personality and the world and the devil all tempting us away, we're just naturally bad. And he's like, how can I quit being naturally bad? By taking heed according to thy word. How do I do that? With my whole heart I've sought you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So how does a young man keep his way pure? By hiding God's work, word in his heart. By taking heed according to thy word. By thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. It does say might there. I might not. Probably will. But I might not. No, that's not what I mean. It just is what we are. I got to have it in here. And that's got to be the thing that I'm drawing off of. Because if I'm drawing, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> if I'm drawing off the things of the world there, it's not going to end well. I don't know whose water this is. I hope they don't got the pneumonia. Um. <laughs> so the man, so the man recognizes that he's got to have God's word as the thing that he draws off of. So as he begins to do that, he's now moving on the path of life. It says, verse sixteen: "I will delight myself in your statutes, and I will not forget your word." So now he's got a new viewpoint. He started off kind of fringy over here. He's on the path. And one thing I was thinking of the other day, I'm a big Pilgrim's Progress fan. You know, you get tired of hearing about him. You hear again. So there's two paths. There's nothing truly parallel in the fallen world, truly. Even railroad tracks. They got to go in and straighten them all the time to keep the train from falling off. Nothing's truly. They're always going like this. They don't seem like it, but if you go far enough out, they actually work their ways apart. They have to work them together. So there's two paths. One leads to life, one leads to destruction. It's just how it is. There's two paths. There's only two paths. And I, I dare say that you're on one or the other path. You can be a Christian and wander off the path of life onto the path of destruction and off you go. I'm not saying that you end up in eternity in hell. I'm saying that you're no longer on the path of life that leads to joy, abundance, peace, and all those things. It, it, it doesn't lead there the path to destruction does not lead there you can be on the path to life fall off the path end up on the path of destruction and fall off the cliff it happens you see these pastors great pastors and they have an affair they fall off the path and they're they're destroyed they lose everything they lose their fellowship their membership their their relationships with their families and everything these guys are on the path of life they're given the path of life to other people they end up on the path of destruction end up falling so this man but oh, this is what i was going to tell you so as you get on the path of life, when you first get on there, you don't necessarily see it as any different than the path anyone else is on. It takes a minute. It takes some time of spiritual growth to recognize, I'm on a different path in the world. And the only way you're really going to recognize that, and it's going to be really clear to you, is as you're reading God's Word. The more you read His Word, you're going to decide, huh, 
the world doesn't seem to live like I want to live. And why do these things influence me so? Why are they leading me astray when your word says I'm supposed to do these things? The Bible says about sexual immorality that you're sinning against your own flesh. I read that this morning in uh, 1 Corinthians. You're sinning against your own flesh. That don't you know that your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit? And not to tarnish the temple, not to bring the things of the world into the temple. But we're bad to do that. We can get on the wrong path here. So what I'm telling you is the path to life, it's a narrow path. You can't see all ahead, all the curves. You can't see the kingdom's gate there right when you step on the path. It's way down there. It's over some hills and valleys. There's stuff you got to go through. But as you go, as you start becoming like this man, become more spiritual mature, you'll see that the path of life is where it's at. It becomes easier to identify the path, and it becomes more visible to you what the path of destruction is. And that's where people say, well, you're very judgmental. It's like, no, I can just see the other path. It's going to end in destruction. It's not going to be good. Anyway, so the man recognizes that in the purest sense here, right at the beginning, that God and his ways are unknown to him. There's a list of rules, regulations, ordinances, statutes, testimonies, commandments, the way, the truth, God's name, etc., that he has to, precepts that he has to abide by to stay on this path of life. And he says uh, that he doesn't really know God. But he desires this path of life so much that he begins to search him out. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Verse 17, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may see, I may see wondrous things from your law. I'm reading it. I don't understand it. But the more I read it, the more I understand that God's law is the path to life. If I never read his word, but I just take what someone else tells me God's word says, I will never truly discover the goodness of the path of life. Because I'm always taking what another fallen man said is the truth. We know of a man, we know of a man that committed suicide this week, tragically. And this man was a Christian man. This man had Bible tracts in his house. But something happened and he began to watch the path of destruction more than the path of life. He began to fill himself with the negative things of the world. He began to watch the news all the time, and it got him depressed. He said, I'm so tired of living with corona. I'm not free to go. And he killed himself because he was watching these people on the path of destruction, and they're taking advantage of the God's people, and they're taking advantage of control and power, and instead of keeping his eye on the kingdom and walking on the path to life, he got distracted about what was going on over here, and he jumped on the path of destruction and fell to his death. Suicides are through the roof right now. Young people's suicides are really high because... They're looking for the answers. They're looking on the internet. Listen to me, young people. You're not even looking at me. You're looking around. Looking, listen to me. You're on the path. And you're making me, you're, you're taking me off. Watch what I'm saying. You're walking on the path to destruction, and you're thinking that you're on the path to life. But you're not. You're lost. Listen to what I'm saying. There's a path of life, and you're not on it. You think you are, but you're, you're listening to all this stuff of the world and you're saying, that's the truth. And I'm telling you, there's only one truth. It's in this book right here, Amen. but you're not reading the book. You got to read the book. That's right. 
Roll your eyes. Flop your head around. Yawn and, and whatever. But I'm telling you, what I'm telling you is the truth right here. Listen to the truth. The man recognizes that he can only find the truth in God's word. We are at the point of accepting Christ's sacrifice on the cross, members of the royal priesthood, and now we're ambassadors for him here on earth. But our citizenship is in heaven. Amen. He's given us a new way of walking that's different from how people walk on the earth. We think that we can walk the same way that the world walks, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, listen to a man who tried to do both. You can't walk the way people walk on the earth and gain the kingdom of heaven. It's a different way of walking. We got to learn the rules of the earth, and we need to learn the rules of the citizenship of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. And you will see that the two do not coincide. And the people of the earth, those who don't care nothing about God, the fool who cries there is no God, that person will tell you that where you're at is the wrong place, but I'm telling you the path to life is very narrow and the gate is small. And you need to seek that gate out. Amen. We need to be aware of the tricks of the world as we try to live as kingdom heirs on earth. It says, look at verse 19, 119, 19. It says, I'm a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. The only rules and laws that I know of are the ones of the earth. That's what I was raised in. That's what my parents did. That's how my grandparents lived. That's how everyone around me lives. How California goes is eventually how Tennessee goes. And they tell me that all these crazy things that the wrath of God has revealed unto men, that, that women will leave their natural place. Men will leave their natural place and have sex with other men. Women will leave their natural place and they'll do all the things that women aren't supposed to do. No longer raising families, no longer being mothers, no longer being spouses, no longer loving their husbands, no longer honoring their family. But instead, they'll go do their own thing and live their own life and live their own world and say, you fit into my world because the world says I can live that way. And I'm telling you that God's way is a different way than the world's way he told us the way that we're to walk but we want to walk like the world walks and then try to justify our actions and say well god's okay with that i can confess that or god be all right he's, he's a loving guy he's a forgiving god and i'm telling you that there's a different set of rules for those that live in the kingdom i'm a stranger on the or i'm a soldier i'm just passing through here man i don't i don't live here i'm here this is not my home. If you don't have a longing for eternal life, a longing for what's going to happen to you after you die, then you need to check and see where your heart is because your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked and you don't even know it. And it's tempted you away. And it's drawn you into this, this thing that's not real. I need to gain knowledge of who the Heavenly Father is and who Jesus the Messiah is. And I need to begin to follow Him. Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight and my counselors. No longer do I take counsel from the world. No longer do I listen to the world and have the world tell me what this and that is, is the right way to think or do or act. Well, it's okay for women to marry women. It's okay for men to marry women. Be whatever you want to be. Who says you got to be anything? You can be non-binary. No, you can't. God created two, man and woman. In the image of God, he created them, man and woman. That's it. Amen. How am I going to live like the kingdom people live if I don't know what the rules, what the constitution of the kingdom says? I don't. 
I let the world tell me, and then it leaves me confused. And I say, well, is the Bible really? I mean, creation, come on, six days, whatever. Because I've been told since I was a kid it was millions and billions of years. And a frog turned into a whale turned into a man. But it didn't happen. God's word tells us exactly what happened. But I try to take the world's view and put it into God's word and then try to come up with some kind of theology and it gets me off track. If I go to his word first, then I can know. I got to learn the rules of the kingdom and I got to maintain that in a world that lives contrary to the kingdom in every way. The man begins to see that the things of this, of this world that he's existed in, you, I want to talk about you, talk about me. We, we live in this world, we have all these worldly traits, and this man says, Lord, you've got to remove these traits from me. Because these, these traits do not fit in the kingdom. He says, Lord, would you remove from me lying? Verse 29, verse 22, would you remove from me covetousness and the desire to look at worthless things? Verse 37, remove from me dreaded reproach. Verse 116, remove from me disbelief or loss of hope. Remove that from me. But he's also careful to ask God to not remove a desire for God and for his word or the ability to speak the truth in verse 43. Look what it says. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. I got to hope in something. I'm not hoping on anybody in Washington. I know we've said this a lot lately, but this guy killed himself because of stuff that people outside of his control did because he lost his faith lord have mercy on me do you believe i believe help me lord I'm, I'm small in belief help my unbelief remember that man do you believe i can heal your daughter i believe lord help me with my unbelief i believe but i don't believe how do you believe if you don't know him if you don't know his word Something's got to be removed from this body and this soul and this spirit, and it's got to be replaced with heavenly attributes. And this psalmist right here, he's, he's on a new life on the path to heaven, and he's asking that his old ways be remo removed. And like Dave said last week, something's got to replace it. You go down here to the drug rehab things, which I've been to some and dealt with those people, and they'll never let them like, quit everything at once. They're like, well, you can keep smoking. Because they know that if they take it all, they'll be worse devil than they ever were when they were just on meth. They can't take it all from them because something will fill the hole. If you don't fill the hole with the Holy Spirit, if you don't fill the hole with God's word, you're going to be a worse devil than you ever were when you were just walking in your natural manness. Jesus said the same thing. If the, if the man and if his mind was swept clean of the seven devils, when it comes back and it finds the place empty, it's going to go roam the earth. When it comes back, it's going to bring seven more wicked than the one that left. Amen. If you clean out your mind, renovate your mind, you have to fill it with something. But we have the tendency to fill it with silly things. I dare say many of you Myself, I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger at you. I'm saying us. Many of us are notoriously bad to spend three to four hours a day looking at YouTube and Facebook and WhatsApp and, and whatever, Instagram and stupid, ridiculous things and not filling it with God's Word. So what's going to fill your mind? What's going to satisfy your spirit? You're going to look at those things and, and you're looking for a thrill or a laugh or something, but it's not filling your spirit. 
So when negative things happen, what are you going to draw on? You're going to draw on Instagram? It's not going to provide what you need. It's not going to be satisfying. He sees his life as worthless, as psalmist does, without the life that God gives. And he wants to go from death to life. He started off with death. And now he's on the path to life. And something happens there. As his life needs boosting, the next thing that happens, so he got removed, then he was, re- he was replaced with these things that God replaced with. Now he's on his way to revival because that's what was poured in. He's alive, but he's barely alive. You don't take a newborn baby and lay it on the front porch out there and uh, you know, hope it's going to shake it off and live and it'll find its own way. You've got to start feeding the baby. You've got to start caring for the baby. If not, the coyotes will come and eat the baby. His life needs a boost. It's not a life, like I said, that can be maintained by your own diligence or your own word searches or your special little prayers. I got my own prayers that I like to pray, and then I like to have my little thing at home, and then sometimes I like to read. It's not going to do it. It's got to be God's word that's poured in there. It says, 119.29, revive me according to thy word. It's got to be built in there. The removal of the human way, the natural man way, the worldly way, it makes room now for a heart of flesh, no longer a heart of stone. That's a hard heart. You go talk to these people. Go talk to them. Come to the rescue mission sometime and see. Bring your kids over there and show them this is the end result right here of going your own way. This is the end result of walking the way you want to walk and filling yourself with what you want to fill. Because that's that's why they're there. Because they've just constantly filled themselves with what they wanted to fill themselves with. Revival is the correct replacement to fill the hole left by the removing of the ungodly ways that we develop from birth as a sinful man. The heart is stirred by revival. It's reliving. It's re-aliving. It's barely alive. It's on life support. And then God comes in there with the Holy Spirit, and he puts the power in there, and he makes you alive for the first time, living for real in an abundant manner. And now this man's on this true path to life. And like I said, this path's not easy to see at first. And this is the trick. This is the thing that confuses us sometimes because the path is not easy to see. You get on the path and you can't, you're always looking ahead because you're not satisfied in the word right there where you're at. You're looking ahead. Oh, God's not really there. He's not really serving. He's not really caring for me. I prayed for a new car. I didn't get one. Whatever you're praying for, I don't know. And you're you're looking ahead instead of looking at his word right now. People really struggle to be in the present. They really do. They're all looking at everybody else and what they're doing instead of just being in the present. But be in the present, be in God's word, hear his voice, study his word. But what's going to happen is, it happens to all of us, is you end up on this new path. And on this new path, you try to bring some things from the old life with you, your coping skills, whatever you coped, however you coped in the past. It's a real problem with, with um, people that struggle with drugs. It's just the easiest picture I can come up with is that as they get stressed, always in the past what they would do was smoke a little weed, drink a little hooch, whatever, smoke or something else, whatever, take a pill. That's, that's their natural instinct is to go back to the things that they used to cope with before. Some people, if they don't feel loved, they actually will instigate an argument with their spouse because at least they get contact with that. It's a crazy thing, but it happens very commonly. If they don't feel like they're getting enough attention, they'll go this negative route. And so they use these coping skills of things that were from the past, and they try to bring them onto the path of life. And so God uses a special tool. It's not, a, it's not my favorite tool. It's the one God uses to make me into the... Christ follower 
that he makes me into in the word is affliction. He brings affliction. The revived man will face affliction. In general, God uses affliction to draw men to the Father. Some could potentially be brought about by sinful behaviors. You know, you had sex with someone and then a person ends up pregnant. You end up accepting Christ. Well, you still have this pregnancy. So it comes along. It's not necessarily affliction. It's kind of a self-brought thing. But in general, it's brought on by God. Affliction comes as a result of a number of things. The first one is sin. Galatians 6, 8 says, He who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. So because of sin, we have a price to pay. We do something bad, we get caught, be sure your sins will find you out, bam, you pay the price. Does it mean you're lost again? No. Does it mean God's forsaken you? No. It means you've sinned and there's a price to pay, just like you're a kid. Judgment is another way affliction comes. Romans 1, 18 through 32, we've talked about this recently, I'm not going to go there. But the wrath of God revealed among men because of men's ungodliness and worldly lust, revilers and haters of God. They turn away from God, and so God just withdraws his hand. And good people as well as bad people suffer under affliction because of God's wrath. Another way it comes is to purify us. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 10, it's, he's talking about the end days, and he says, Many shall be purified, made white, and refined. They don't die. They get afflicted. They get persecuted. And that ends, it says, by this, the wise shall understand. The wicked are going to gnash their teeth, that same scripture. That's Daniel 10, 12, 10, if you want to look that one up. That's a really power hitter. Um, but it talks about the wicked are just going to gnash their teeth against God. But the wise, God's people, will understand this is from God. We're being afflicted because as a nation, we've turned our back against God. Or it could be uh, a part of just living in a fallen world. Psalm 25 says, have mercy on me for I am desolate and afflicted. He's just a clean man living in a fallen world. The things of the world affect him and harm him and hurt him. It could be for God's purposes, like Job chapter 2, where he says, have you considered my man Job? And then it just, the beat down begins. Or it could be as a result of persecution for Christ's sake, 2 Timothy 3, 11 and 12. I endured persecutions, and it goes on to say, all who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. In this life, if you are a believer... At some point, you're going to face some form of persecution because we don't walk like the world walks. And the world looks at you and mocks you and says, I can't believe you walk that way. Affliction could be personal or it could be national. But either way, I believe that God is not only aware of it, but he's likely the one that put it on you. He's the initiator. I noticed in Psalm 119, though, as far as affliction goes, I'll read you these real quick. Uh, the writer Except for one time, he never asked God to remove affliction from him, only oppression from the wicked. So the writer understands that the afflictions that come from men, from sin, from judgment to purify us for God's purposes, living in a fallen world as a result of persecution, that all those come from God and that they are a refiner of him and makes him into the usable man that God could use to further his kingdom. Uh, let's see. One thing he does, though, is he asks that God would reveal himself through the affliction and that he would more closely desire his word, his statutes, laws, testimonies, commandments, and so on. So to be clear, while the man asked God to remove a number of things from him that are negatives, except for verse 153, he never asked God to remove affliction from him. That's something to consider. That's a real man right there. Hit me again. I like it. I'm learning stuff. Psalm 119, verse 50. 
This is my comfort and my affliction, for your word has given me life. Verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Verse 71, it's good for me. <laughs> it's good for me that I've been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. That's a, man, that guy's an animal. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and in a faithfulness, you have afflicted me. Unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Each one of the afflictions that occur to man, either brought on by yourself or brought on by God, are things that draw you to his word. And they draw you to his word because you know, if you're a believer, that there's only one place you're going to find peace and rest, and that's in his word. Amen. I can go, I, I, people ask, and I'm, I'm glad to do it. You got problems, you want to come talk, I'm, I'm going to talk to you. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you, and you're going to tell me, oh, my, my husband, he's a terrible person. He's going to be my wife, she's a terrible person. And I'm going to say, let's go to God's word. And that's where we're going to go. Because I can give you answers. I can say, yeah, your wife is goofing up here. Your husband's goofing up here. But if you guys don't get in this together, you're not going to solve the problem. Here's two bats. Go out in the yard and hit each other. Amen. I mean, that's all there is. This is the solution is in this book. And outside of using this book, there's not going to be any solution. People listen to counselors and then they go outside and do the exact same thing they did before they went to the counselor. Listen to this verse right here, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, which we, do not look, which we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I'm going to read the first part again. For our momentary light affliction is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You know what Paul's talking about as far as those afflictions? Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 4. I'll tell you what the afflictions are. Tell me if yours match these. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. We've been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We're fools for Christ's sake, but you're wise in Christ. We are weak, but you're strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed, beaten, and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. These momentary light afflictions, fed to the lions, flogged, persecuted, beat, run out of town, starved, drowned, stoned, imprisoned. And in that... They say, thank you, God, you're showing me more of who you are. Oh, if some more people could get saved by, the, by my witness of my life as I've been used up for you so fully. That man in Psalm 119 is completely grateful for the afflictions that drawn towards the Father, and they better prepare him for his eternal existence. These are purifying things that make us ready for the kingdom in the future. His focus has changed because of his revival of spirit. He's not looking for a human counselor, per se, or a government to revive him. Governments don't revive men. They just kill men. They just persecute men. They control men. But they, don't, they don't make men alive. They crush men. So why would we look to them for solutions? We've got to look to the book. Amen. Only God, through the use of his son, Jesus Christ, has the power over death. No one else. The ability to renew a man to life and life more abundant. It comes from Christ. That's the book of John right there. Over and over, I have the power to give life. 
He raises men from the dead. And I got a one more word picture from you. It's in Luke 16, 19 and following there. But it's the rich man and Lazarus. So whenever you talk about the abundant life or you talk about affliction and then you talk about the abundant life, people say, what's the abundant life? I'm going to tell you what the abundant life is. You remember the story? Abundant life. The story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man and the Lazarus, the rich man had a life. It says he lived sumptuously. It means he was fat. He was eating good. He was living big. Had his own, you know, suburban looking chariot or whatever. He had slaves. He had wealth. He lived good. And it says that Lazarus sat in front of his gate. And he was so pitiful and loserly that he had leprosy and the dogs came and licked his sores. And the sumptuous fat man never had enough regard for Lazarus to even go by and throw him the food that he would have thrown out to his own dogs. And so they both die. And Lazarus ends up on one side of heaven in Abraham's bosom, it says. So he's basically in heaven. And, and the rich man ends up in the fiery pit. And he says, he calls across, Father Abraham, just have Lazarus dip his finger. Still, with the mindset of the sumptuous fat man, tell that loser to come over here and dip his finger in water and drip it on my tongue. And Lazarus is like, I, you know, Abraham talks actually, and he says, even if we could, we can't cross over this, this gulf, this great gulf that divides where you're at and where we're at. And so my question is, that's a good story. Go back and read it. Amen. But my, my, my question is, is who lived the abundant life? They both did. The rich man lived the abundant life here, and Lazarus lives the abundant life now. So which abundant life would you rather have? Because you know, Dave showed us years ago, you know, this, the picture, you know, the big long string, that's all of eternity. And then you're this little speck on there. At best, you live 100 years. Well, not the way you guys live, but some people that were healthy livers could potentially live 100 years. At best, 100 years. And you have eternity that goes out there forever, 100 years at best. You want abundant life in the 100 years, or do you want abundant life forever? If you want abundant life forever, begin now by preparing yourself for abundant life forever. The afflictions that Lazarus faced here, are, faced here are nothing compared to the glory that he receives and experiences every day when he passed from human death to eternal life in God's presence. That man in Psalm 119 has caught the vision of this, and he's on this path to righteousness. It's a skinny path, but it's not a difficult path. To seek God's face is not a difficult path. It takes some time. But if you take the time that you've squandered myself, I'm not, I'm not without guilt here. But the amount of our lives that we squander on everything from sleep to eating to rest to vacationing to internet to television, if we didn't squander all that, we would have abundant amount of time to discover who God is and what his desire is for us. And the thing is, is that the psalmist figures out that this life is not all there is. And we get really tangled up in that. We don't, we don't kill ourselves unless we get tangled up thinking that this is all there is. When he figures out that this is not all there is, but it allows him to begin to put his trust more fully, more wholly in God's hands. And he begins to realize that God alone can provide his every need. And, and this is something God spoke to me, I believe, is that we, we think about needs as physical things. It would be really nice to have a jacket today, no doubt, and a house and things like that. But our greatest need is a spiritual thing. 
And we hear that, and we, maybe we don't remember, we don't think about it too much when we're young. But we, as we get older, we recognize that this stuff here, it doesn't matter at all. But the things that matter from the day after our dot ends into eternity, that's what matters. And that's all spiritual things. If I want peace and comfort, long-suffering, mercy, and all those things, I want that. But I want it forever. I don't want it for an hour or for a day. So as those spiritual things come on, the removal of his sin, replacing it with the hope of Christ and God's word, it leads to a revival of spirit that allows him to walk joyfully, even in affliction. And we shall soon see that this will drive him, as we get through this, to maturity, spiritual maturity. Here's the thing about these two paths. Where my pencil is. We've got two paths. L path. That's a good one. That's not a, not even a thing, I don't believe. It'll be on there forever. That's the path of life. It'll be on here forever. That's a good one. All right. So we've got two paths. <laughs> They're running parallel-ish. And at any point, you can cross from the path of life to the path of destruction. And at any point, you can pass from the path of destruction to the path of life. But when you pass from destruction to life, you always go to the beginning of the path. You don't get to cross over in the middle as a semi-mature person and take it on. Even Paul, though he knew the scriptures, he goes all the way back to the gate, the narrow gate. And that's how he gets on the path of life. And then he spends time with Christ. And then he can be a minister of the gospel. But at any point that you're on this path of destruction, you can go and enter at the narrow gate on the path of life at any point. But again, at any point on the path of destruction, you could immediately fall onto the, uh, I'm sorry, the path of life, you can immediately fall onto the path of destruction and fall off the cliff. I'm not saying you're going to hell. I'm saying you can be completely separated from God in time, but not in eternity. So you need to be very careful as a believer that you're walking on the path of life and the correct path. So what path are you on? Because the path of life leads this man from removing the old, replacing with new, revival of spirit, rest in his spirit in affliction, and in rejoicing in zeal as he walks, even in persecution, he's zealous in persecution. That's what we're going to talk about next week. The, uh, both entrances can be a little hard to figure out. You think you're on the right path, but you're on the path of destruction. Got good people, and he's a nice guy, and then before long, oh, off you go. It can, they can be a little deceptive, both can. But as you walk further, you'll see that the path of life is always going up. Amen. The fruits may be not seen right at first until you've traveled away, but one leads to the Father and one leads to the pit. So before you leave today, because we don't know when our next breath is. I saw a guy run into Jim's fence over there this morning. You don't know when your next breath is. But while you're here and you heard the word, and though I raised my voice at you, Today is the day of salvation because you're not promised, you're not even promised lunch. You could go in there and choke on some broccoli because that's all broccoli's good for. You could go in there and, and croak eating broccoli today. You don't know. Amen. Amen. Broccoli bad. Steak good. But you don't know what you have left. And we're so quick to mock or to put off or to think, oh, that guy, he's old, and that's all he does is read the Bible, and he's just a nerd. And, and if he really, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, young people, I have lived more of my life to my shame than any of you could even think about. I've done more things, and most of it to be shamed. But I'm telling you, when God 
revealed himself to me. He made me know that I was on the path to destruction. And that's the same place you are if you're not on the path of life. You're only on one or the other. You don't get another. There's not a third option. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gains eternal life except through me. No one. So, well, I was saved as a kid. Well, I was baptized. Well, baptized doesn't do dilly squat for you if you don't know Christ. If you don't have Christ's righteousness on you, making you whiter than snow, you have nothing and you're on the path of destruction. So before you go today, you make sure that your heart is in the right place. And I think also that today is a day of repentance. We can't have revival without repentance. We've got to have something that changes us and we're like, man, I've been kind of, I'm walking in the space, but there's no space between the paths, but I'm wandering from the path to just from the path of life to I'm just messing around in between there, making my own way through the brush, making my own path. You better get back on the path of life. Amen. Let's take a moment and I'll offer the time. And we can pray right now. And I want you to pray where you're at. And I want you to consider yourself. I'm not, um, as your friend, as one who cares about you, I, I told you, this, I don't know if I told you this or not, but I read through the four Gospels in January. I read all four of the Gospels in January. And if I saw one thing that I've never saw before, I, this is what I saw. I said, if, if Jesus does one thing, it's this. He will do absolutely anything to draw you to the Father. You got to see somebody healed? I'll do it. You got to see somebody raised from the dead? I'll do that. You need some food? I'll do that. You need to be just following me around? Want to see me walk on water? You want to see me die on the cross and come, you know, come alive again? I'll do it. He will do, any, and he begs people to come to the Father, have reconciliation with the Father. Jesus Christ's purpose is come to earth to draw you to the Father. And if you reject that, you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, and you end up eternity in hell, and it's all your decision. And you can say, well, I'm following Christ. If you're not following Christ with all that you are, you better check what path you're on. So today, while it's still called today, let's take a time of repentance and pray together. I'm just going to leave you. You can come and, and pray up here if you would like to. Or you can pray there and then I'll pray and close us. If you've not been saved, today is the day. By saved, I mean recognizing your sinfulness and your separation from God. And you don't know why, but you know that you carry around guilt for whatever reason. You carry around guilt because you do things against God. And God's calling out to you right now. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will enter in and sup with him. I'll come in there where you're at. I'll come right to you. But you've got to open the door. Let's pray together. Just right where you're at. Come and pray. Pray right there. Repent first. Consider what was said.